know. I'm just. I, it's it's embarrassing. It's. Uh, I, I I think it's I think a total 180. Well, what 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 nobody who uh, is listening to this can hear is that we have to we have to do a synchronized clap, which always just feels a little ridiculous to me to 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 sync the audio, and then and then we start we start talking like we haven't been talking for five minutes, which is very funny to me. Well, I just think it's, I just think it's funny that you always start by laughing as if I said something uproarious just before we started. <laughs> no, which is no, not the case at all. No, I just start yeah. laughing because I feel a little silly. That's all. But but silly is good. Anyway. That's a good Welcome place. to Bookstabber. Welcome to Bookstabber again. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, the book Piranesi by Susanna Clark, who wrote uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell uh, over 10 years and, ago. And, and I'm Willow Payne. Oh, you're Willow Payne. And I'm I'm Gene Ambaum. Uh, and uh, why are we talking about Piranesi? Because uh, my friend Samir told me that this book was fantastic. And we realized it was short, and we decided that was a good thing. And uh, we wanted to read something that, that sounded cool. So thank you to Samir for inadvertently suggesting a book for Bookstabber. And now, Willow, you have the, uh, the fantastic The Book Talk. Yes. All right. Uh, I would describe this book as a sort of magical realist uh, genre work. It, uh, we start from the perspective of uh, a guy who describes himself as 35 years old, uh, but he is not aware of his own name. He seems to have been living for some time in a absurdly large house with seemingly infinite rooms. Uh, it's sort of mansion-like that is flooded uh, by seawater that brings him fish and seaweed and nets and things. And uh, birds are also able to get in through some sort of portal to the sky or windows that uh, I don't think we ever really know where the windows lead to. And as far as we know, there's only other one other person in the world who's an older man uh, that he meets with about twice a week, uh, who they compare notes with each other. Uh, it's hard to talk about more without spoiling the book, but obviously if you are savvy with media in any way or form, you know that uh, our main character seems to think that this is the way the world exists as a whole, and there's nothing outside of this world. Uh, He knows that there are other people because he encounters 13 corpses. I think 13 is the correct number. Maybe I think think it's 14. Okay, so yes, there there are 14 skeletons and remains that he talks about frequently oh no 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 you're no, 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 no for people i apologize you are right it's 13 it's 13 because okay. because then there's it's, because then they're they're 15 and then the next person is 16 so yeah right and right he's imagining he's he keeps a lot of these journals he has uh, meticulous journals that he keeps about everything that he finds within the house uh and his records of the people and all of his knowledge and uh he keeps immaculate notes on the tides that come in because he relies on the tides to um, as I was saying, it's hard to talk about this book any further without spoiling it. Uh, are spoilers a part of book talks, Gene, or is that uh, not, not not usually? No, I mean, I mean, I think I think you've hit the the key points. It's a it's a novel about this strange place more than anything else. And um, like normally in a book talk, you don't spoil, but but I would just say like uh, like the 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 person who is not Piranesi is called uh, the other by Piranesi, and the other is right. searching for some kind of great and secret knowledge that's hidden in in this place that Piranesi calls the world, uh, this giant mansion, and um, which extends for tens, if not hundreds of kilometers, it sounds like, in each direction. And, uh, I, I think the only other thing that I forgot to mention about the house that makes it interesting is that it is filled with all of these statues right. uh, of marvelous things like minotaurs and satyrs and uh, women holding beehives and sailing ships. Uh, it certainly evokes a lot of this interesting imagery it, it sounds like every every classical statue you've ever heard of or or heard suggested like like has an echo in this place, right? 
Right. Well, the, right. Classical statues, but also sort of things that you would imagine to be a classical. Like there's many statues that are described in here that sound like something you would see in a museum, but to my knowledge, probably don't exist, right? I, yeah, I, I wondered about that. I, I thought, what am I missing? Because I don't have a, uh, an art history degree. <laughs> you know, right. like, like maybe there's maybe there's some discipline that would recognize so much more um, in this in this uh, in this book than I do. But but uh, right. taking it as the as the idiot I am, um, it, it, th- those are the echoes that it feels like. Right. None of the statues are notable things like Heracles and the lion or Lycaon and the sea serpent. That's not to be found here. It's always just sort of it's a it's a boy in a chair like. Lycaon okay. and the sea serpent. Where did you Where did you pull that from? That's like <laughs> I, because I I did go to many art history classes. I might be mis, uh, pr- I might be mispronouncing Lycaon, but that would I assume that's the the Greek pronunciation. Well, you're the you're the perfect co-reader for this. Then that's that's fantastic. I didn't know that. Well, yes and no because I think that like I said, that's not in the book. So I look at it as like, well, these evoke that kind of image, but without actually having that same that correct content. Right. 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 Um. But my assumption is that if Susanna Clark wanted that in here, that then it would be in here. That's not the point of this. Uh, and and we have reason to believe later on why that isn't the case. But there's there's a lot here that is not explained right. at all. Right, right, right. Um, I, I guess we're diving in to talk about the book now. So did you enjoy right. Did you enjoy I, this book? Yeah, I overall I did enjoy the book. I don't think it's perfect by any means, but. Uh, and and you know, would I have read it had it not been for this podcast? Probably not. I I have one big problem with it that I want to get to later. But first, I want to hear about your reaction to this book, because talking about it before we started recording, uh, I think I think your your review of this book may prompt uh, your so desired rant from me. Well, well, I, I don't I don't um, I, I think I think you and I, we, we always have like kind of a 30 second talk about it about a week ahead of time. And and we kind of checked in with each other last week. And I think I was about halfway through and I was very frustrated with the book. Because that first half, there's not a lot that happens. It's a pretty short first half. It's a pretty short book overall, which I think I think makes it work in a lot of ways. It can be mysterious and not very explainy, and just kind of as explainy as it gets toward the end. And it's it's it, it works within the confines of the story itself. But I think at the point where I was frustrated with it was Piranesi seems to have no past, but there's all these hints about his past and him being from our world, perhaps. And it's very clear that the other is is accessing our world in some way. I mean, Piranesi is like living like a wild man on whatever the sea, which also flows into the halls, into some of the halls, brings him. Right. He's 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 burning dried seaweed. He's eating seaweed. He's eating fish and mussels and whatever he can he can scrape together. Um, he's living wild with the birds, and the other gives him some things like a sleeping bag once in a while that it's clear he needs. But the other is not taking care of him. The other is using him to basically explore the halls because the other is an older man and uh, doesn't really have the the physical prowess to go exploring or the patience, it seems like. And so the other sends Piranesi out to try to find knowledge of the, of what is, what is Piranesi called? He calls it the the house, right? He he calls this place the house. He does call it the house. Uh, And it should be pointed out that, uh, so our main character is called Piranesi by the other he does. He knows on some level that Piranesi is not his name, right? And he and he doesn't know why the other calls him Piranesi, which we find out later uh, is a reference to. I, I had to look this up. This, this is something that I was not aware of. Um, 
but some Italian philosopher who wrote on the nature of prisons, I believe, is the is the name reference. Well, I, I believe he did some uh, some some drawings or etchings of of prisons that are kind of like a little bit Escher-esque. It sounds like, and so that that seems to fit with the house. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like like it's 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 weird that Piranesi doesn't really see the difference between them. He just thinks that the house favors the other with more stuff, like with whatever the other needs, like whether it's a cheese sandwich or like a nice suit that he's wearing. <laughs> Whereas Piranesi's just dressed in rags and trying to fish in the in the vestibule of one of the flooded um, the flooded right. flooded rooms in the house. It, it, it's all very strange. And and but but Piranesi is kind of he's kind of living in the now, right? And and that that's a very hard viewpoint to. Uh, for, well, for me personally, to sustain like an interest in, because he seems to be ignoring so many clues around him that you're like, like, is this guy just just dumb? Is he willfully ignorant? Like, what's going on? And I think I think it sure. kind of, it kind of developed enough uh, toward I would say the like the end of the second third of the book for me to really kind of latch onto it, where you get some of the backstory and as Piranesi kind of delves into his journals a bit more, and he has a very extensive index to journals that have gone missing, and you get more and more hints until you finally kind of realize what's happened. It becomes very clear even to him what's happened. Um, and and there's, a, there's a kind of rising action that kind of snuck up on me a little bit with involving uh, the person that they come to call 16, which is uh, another person who's coming into the hall. Oh, there is another person yet again who is even more mysterious. Um, but 16 is coming, and 16 is trying to communicate with Piranesi, and the other is very unhappy about this, and uh, the other like doesn't want Piranesi to, to communicate with 16 and tells Piranesi that he will go mad if he communicates with with 16. And, that, and ba- basically the other intimates that um, he will, in fact, kill Piranesi if Piranesi... Uh, does communicate with the other because there will be nothing else to do because Piranesi will be crazy. Um, and then like the the flooding and everything kind of comes to this. It, there's a nice rising action, a nice sense of, uh, I don't know, my heart was racing as I, as I read uh, toward the end of the book. And, and, and then it kind of, it all goes away. And then it, it, like, I just, I liked where it left me kind of floating along, you know, at the end of the narrative. So, so I, I did end up enjoying this book, like much, much more than I thought I was going to uh, the last right. time we mentioned it. Yeah. I, and, and, and I just, I just, I just really like the way, um, I ended up really, really admiring the way it hung in the present for just, just, I think the perfect amount of time and then, and then bringing me up with Piranesi. So, so I think what's interesting about this is that maybe for the first time ever, you and I essentially disliked the same thing about this book, which is to say that, uh, so our main character is a, is a bit of an unreliable narrator, right? Like, we know the world is not a giant house full of statues, but our main character believes that, yes, that's just the entire world. There's only ever been 15 people and maybe a hypothetical 16th person. Uh, now... And, and we should say, so, so the, other, the other 13 people are dead, and then there's Piranesi the other, and then the 16th yeah, person, right? Yeah, I, I said that in the book talk. Okay. Uh, but I want to point out, so this reminds me a lot of an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that, oh, no. I, that I don't like. And, I, and I'm going to tell people about this. So there's an episode. I don't remember what season it is. There's an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where it, the, whole, the whole episode is from the point of view of Dr. Beverly Crusher, who uh, something happens. She gets bonked on the head by a coconut or something. And for the rest <laughs> of the episode, she's, she's the only one on the Enterprise who is noticing that uh, certain people are disappearing. She's like, I need to go talk to Worf. And Picard's like, who's Worf? There's never been a Worf on this ship. And this keeps happening every couple of minutes. Riker is disappearing and Deanna Troy is disappearing. Everyone's disappearing until it gets to the point. 
And, and each time she is told that, no, those people don't exist. They've never been here. What are you talking about? You must be crazy. And it gets to the point where it's literally just her and Picard on the on the deck of the Enterprise. And Picard is just straight around and be like, you're insane. You think there were ever more than two people on this ship? Why are you a crazy person? <laughs> and we discover that she's been in some kind of weird alien-induced coma or something, and this was all an elaborate dream that she was having. Like, obviously none of this was real. But, like, to the audience, of course we know that these characters exist, right? It, it's it's obvious. No one was no one was watching this episode of Star Trek and thinking, oh, wow, Deanna, oh, wow, uh, Beverly Crusher is really going crazy. That's what a, what a bold move by the writers of Star Trek, right? Right. For them to trick us into think that all of these characters never existed this whole time. So we, we the audience, know what is happening in this book. It, even if it's not, we don't know literally what's happening. We don't know the magical uh, mechanics of how this world works or how they got here. But we know this isn't the real world. And we know that there are many people and that this guy, in order, he knows a lot of things. He knows what flashlights are. He knows what batteries are. He right. knows what sleeping bags are. Like, he clearly understands manufactured goods that, like... And he understands concepts that exist in the statues that he has no reference for. Like, like he knows what women are, even though there's no women present in this house, right? He knows right. and bees. what beehives, and beehives are. Yeah. Right, even though... And, and, and there's sort of these interesting moments where he kind of understands concept. Like, he has to put certain things together. He's like, well, I don't know what the word police means, but I understand the other... I, I understand what a station is, so a police station is some kind of fantastical station, you know? This is a real thing he talks about at one point. Right, and, and the time when the but, when, uh, when the leaf like flows in on the tide, and he's like, "Oh, trees! Trees are a real thing." But you know, how do I how do I know trees are a real thing? Right, and so yeah, my struggle with this book is that of the two hundred fifty pages that comprise this book, far too many of them are devoted to our main character just not knowing things and just grappling with the act of not knowing things, which I assume was a lot of fun for the author to write, but is not nearly as much fun for the audience to read. In the same way that like if 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 I had to watch three episodes of Star Trek about uh, the characters not knowing what is going on, I would get frustrated really fast. Yeah, it, it's a long time to hang in there. Like I would say the the first half of this book, but but somehow somehow after after you get past that, it feels like it was just right. And I, I think I, you. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was just because it was journal entries like that were structured, you know, in a certain way, and that let me kind of dive in and out of the book in a certain sense like like when i needed to so i didn't feel like i had to it wasn't like a long chapter that i felt like i had to compelled to keep reading right it was it was like a page or two sometimes or sometimes 10 pages of just a single journal entry that i was like oh this is you know this is a digestible bit and so overall that let me experience i have a i have a theory that you have like stockholm syndrome with books (laughs) here we go I really do. No, because so when you were halfway through this book, you did not seem super happy with it. I know we didn't we didn't talk about it at length because we were saving for the podcast. But you were just like, I'm just waiting for this book to get started, which I honestly I understand. I understand that feeling all too well of waiting for a book to get started. It's why I don't finish a lot of books is because they just don't start properly. But I don't understand how you and I don't want this to be a podcast where every week I complain about the blade itself. But you're, you're good. Copy. You're good. <laughs> but I don't understand how you read the 500 pages of that book and what I assume is a, a minimum of 1,000 pages of the ensuing sequel. Yeah. 
waiting for it to get started and were content the entire time. But you couldn't read 150 pages of this without being like, oh, I'm getting ants in my pants. This is too much, man. Well, so I, I think I think that I think that I told you a lot of times I read for um, for setting. Right. And so in some ways, this should be the perfect book for me because it's about the setting. But there just isn't a lot going on in that setting. That's the setting. The setting of the house isn't particularly compelling to me because I don't think there is a great and secret knowledge in the house even though the other is trying to perform magic rituals and get Piranesi to help him do research on the house and find rooms for him and everything else that's going on. Like there's just statues and statues and statues and I can't really picture it very well. And it's not, it's not like in my head. It, it, it feels like mysterious and strange in like one of those places that's right next door to our world, but not quite, you know, of our world. And um, I don't, I don't know what it's supposed to be. And at some point it's just not, it wasn't compelling enough to, to pull me along and neither was Piranesi because Piranesi doesn't know what's going on. And he's so, he seems so willfully ignorant to me, you know, that I don't about the way he's being treated and about the way, uh, about, about what the other is trying to do and how he's being used. But, you know, like, I think the blade itself had like, had character moments that just amused me, you know, mostly because I've I... read a bunch of other fan. I mean, I understand why you're not amused, but, but, uh, but, but it amused me enough uh, because it's it's not quite like other fantasies I've read that that it, it just made me laugh enough that it pulled me along and it, it didn't really matter what was happening in that first book and that's why it's kind of an introduction to the world which I which I kind of liked and there's enough like variety of characters and enough just just giggles for me <laughs> that it was fine somehow you know but this this doesn't have really that lightness it doesn't have it doesn't have um, it just didn't have much of a hook for me that first half of this book. Whereas, whereas the blade itself had so many hooks that that just appealed to me in, in a very different way. Like um, Susanna Clark's sentences and just the way this book is written, it seems wonderful to me. You know, I mean, I mean, yeah, so, th- 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 there's a quality here that that uh, that I do recognize, and and maybe that's what pulled me through. But it's not something I think about as I'm as I'm reading it. I I agree with your criticisms of Piranesi. I don't think that... I I think it could have been edited down significantly. I think that it's important to the story that Piranesi doesn't know what's going on and that he's confused. I agree with all that. And I I agree that... You're right. The setting doesn't have a lot to hold on to. It's basically an empty house that has some weird rooms in it. And we spend more than half of the book just talking about, boy, these rooms sure are weird, aren't they? (laughs) Boy, there sure are a lot of statues here. Oh, gee whiz. Big (laughs) statues. But that's, and I I don't love that about it. I wish that that, I wish that it was shorter. But I also, I don't agree with your assertion that the blade itself, I I don't even think this is true of um, Earthsea, which I liked quite a bit. I don't think these have good settings. I think these settings are lacking. Altogether, I don't think they're. I don't think they're better settings than uh, what we have here in Piranesi. Well, I, in terms of the blade itself, I don't think. I, I like. I'm probably misusing the word setting here, but I, but I just mean like like the world is pretty developed, and there's there's a lot of different cultures and different spots, and you know, it, it all kind of fits together in a way that makes some sense in my head. That's that's a very fantasy world. You know, it, it, there's not like a lot of surprises there. But it's but it's well enough done to me that I recognize it and I know what it is and I kind of know what I'm in for and I know I, I can see the ride I'm along for and then it's amusing on top of that on a character level. But I, and so that's but I enough. think that I think what you're describing is that, yes, the world of the blade itself has a lot of facts, right? It has 
facts that exist in the abstract of, yes, there is an empire known as the Gurkish Empire, and the people from it are known as Gurkul, and I, there is a... Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe I, you remember that, yes. I really hate the names in that entire book. I think every name in it is just bad. <laughs> So they, they stick I, out to I, me. I love, I love, we should just call this podcast The Blade Itself, <laughs> comparing everything to The Blade Itself. Oh, well, no, it. but I think, I think that's largely true of, I have to look, I'm, I'm turning away from the mic to look at my bookshelf because I can't remember. I think it's also somewhat true of Earthsea. I liked Earthsea, um, and I think that the thing that Earthsea did right was that it didn't, it, 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 it showed you just enough to give you a sense of what was going on, and then it didn't worry about it too much, Right. Right. You know, Ged sails over to a, a small island that has a bunch of ruins on it, and then a bunch of dragons fly at him, and he starts killing them one by one. And like that is an evocative enough picture that I can that I can tell you what's happening. Whereas if this were happening in the blade itself, one, uh, it, it, it would be a lot worse. They wouldn't. They couldn't just be dragons. They would have to be, you know, scar wings or something, right? They would have to be some bullshit. <laughs> And you would have to say, well, I don't know what a scar wing is, but I hope it's like a dragon because that's what I'm picturing. You call it, you, you call it bullshit, my friend. I'll say if, if Abercrombie had dragons eating people, it would be spectacular. That's all I can say. I would read that scene in a heartbeat. <laughs> right. And, he, and and you know why he doesn't? It's because he's a hack. No, no. I mean, like, like you would argue you would argue if he had them, if he had dragons eating people, it, he was a hack. Like, like it, 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 it's not, it, I don't know. It, it's not the sameness of of his book that appeals to me. It's it's not like, oh, this is a fantasy novel. It's a, like a lot of other things you will recognize. Like, of course it is. It's, it's genre fiction. That's kind of why, you know, I, I read genre fiction. It's something recognizable. It's, it's something that I'm sure I'm going to enjoy because it's in this mode. Like, this is how it works. But it's, it's, it's the little ways Abercrombie surprised me. And it doesn't, it doesn't take much, but I, I, I am delighted by that book, by the blade itself and by the, by the series well, as a whole. Uh, I, appre- I appreciate what you're saying uh, you're right i'm not saying that every fantasy author has to be the same i don't think that ursula Le Guin writes like J.R. tolkien right right i wouldn't say that i don't think he writes like uh, i don't think ursula writes like george R. R. martin not that i think that's uh, not that i think he's a good author either mm-hmm. but i can appreciate the way in which these authors are different however i do think that and for one thing i'll say getting back to piranesi i think Susanna clark is a really good writer i think oh, she's she great has, yeah fantastic i think she has style, and if if nothing else, the style of her writing is the thing that actually drove me to finishing this book. Oh, I I, think, I, I read this book, and now I'm like I'm going to finally read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, which I which I never did read because it just it because I'm it's so long and I'm such a slow reader. But now I'm like oh I'm going to finish that book in the next year or so. But any writing teacher can identify that there's a difference between style and just bad writing. I think you would agree with that. I, I think I think that's hard sometimes. I I think it's easy to point to something and say like like that doesn't work. But I but I think I think bad writing is is difficult. And 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 I say that only because you know in college writing courses um, you'd see you'd see the reluctance of teachers to to label things as such. And I and I kind of understand that because you want to help somebody figure out what they're trying to do and then and then do it instead of just say this is this is terrible. You know. But but Susanna Clark for like it just flows. It's it's so it's so good, right? But but I for me Abercrombie flows too. You know, I'm, and I'm not, record, I'm not equating I did, them. I did not have I did not have kind writing teachers uh, for the most part. No, I, I, well I, I didn't either. But but I think they just try not to like at, at a minimum they try not to stomp on people. You know, um, and, and you can show why a sentence isn't working, but it, it's very hard to be like like this whole 
this whole book is crap. You're trying to, you know, I mean, like I've seen writing teachers try to help people with, with a novel fragment and try to help them figure out what they're trying to do and why it's not working. And I, I think part of it is that it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's laziness on behalf of the writing teacher because it's so much work to try to get something that isn't working into shape, right? And, and right. You, you don't have, you don't have in a class of like 20 or 30 people, you don't have the time to take everybody's okay, thing well, home and try to fix it. So sure. I mean, our podcast is not on how do we help writing teachers, but <laughs> I, honestly, I think the, I think if you're going to do anything with these books, it's the what you need to do happens at the editing process. Do I think that, uh, I think that in the instance of the blade itself, that like conceptually you need to improve it, but I, you know, like I said it last time, uh, just edit that whole first book out. Nothing happens in that first book. Edit the whole book out. That's fine. You you have another book. You have two more books that in which plot happens. Publish those books. Yeah, but I'm I'm so Please, glad I'm don't so, publish I'm, the first book. I'm so glad that book exists. I just can't tell you how glad I am that book exists. And I think I think that's an interesting tension between us, that um you know like like the or not between us but but like the publisher has to look at this and go like is this going to make enough people happy that it should exist. You know, and, and for, for me, for the blade itself, the answer is clearly yes. And for Piranesi, the answer is clearly yes, right? Like these are good calls on behalf of the publisher to me. I think that's a very kind, I think that's a very kind and generous way to look at publishers. I think, I don't think they, like, I think you're picturing them as like a Willy Wonka figure <laughs> who's like releasing, releasing books into the world like millions of children are going to read this book and their dreams are going to grow into <laughs> into angels and those angels will fly off and make the world a better place it's that's like, so not my view no, of publishing. i think they're like i think i think they will publish bad books if they think it will sell <laughs> i don't think they well, uh, no 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 I, I, they I, I, I don't think it has much to do with with quality it has to do with whether people want to read it or not and i, I think in both these cases people want to read them for different reasons right right i i can't imagine that any editor who published uh, i don't know who the publisher of the Twilight books is, but I can't imagine that <laughs> the the editors over that publishing house read this and are like, oh yeah, this is great, absolutely. Like I think they were like, it's well, it's about teens and vampires, so those are have already been selling for but 20, have... 30 years now. So sure, I, I never I never got the Twilight books either, and I remember um, I remember stopping the first one about halfway through the audiobook. Um, but I tried to read it because all of the teen girls in my book club at the library where I was working when it came out were so in love with these books and they were passing them around to each other and they couldn't stop talking about them. And that's exciting to see. And, and anytime you see that, like as a librarian, you're just like, oh, this is great. Something must be going on here. And whether it's whether it's the book itself or what, what people are bringing to it and you whether you argue it's some kind of mass hysteria, it kind of doesn't matter because because people are excited about a book and that's, that's what you want to see, right? And, and so in, in that sense, I'm glad a publisher put that book out, right? You know, I'm glad a publisher sure. put out put out all these things, and and I realize that I'm not the ideal audience for every book that's out there. Like like, what a sad world it would be if you and I got to pick every book that was published, right? If we had to okay it, like how many things would be missing from the world? It'd be too too much entirely, right? There needs to be something right. out there for all of us. So I'm not I'm not mad that these books exist. I don't think I'm I'm sorry that I read some of them. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Because that represents, and and I think if anything, my problem is that I wish I wish these books were better. Like I wish every book was really great. Right. Well, and, I, I, I think that's the great thing about you. You you have the expectation that every book is going to be great, right? Like this book exists, and, and you pick it up, expecting like like great quality, like a fantastic book, and 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 I think you feel irritated. 
when when a book lets you down, when it doesn't meet whatever standard you have in your mind, right? Sure. And whereas whereas I'm like I'm more like maybe this is maybe this is the difference between us. I'm more like oh this book is not something I want to read, and I just set it aside, you know. But once in a while, I'm so mad, and it's often about the endings or the ending of a series where. It, it it feels like it's a great book and then the end just lets me down so much that I'm devastated and I don't like the book at all anymore you know and and, and it's rare that I get that far in a book and then I'm just totally let down but it's happened what, before what would be an example of a book that did that to you oh oh I knew you were gonna ask me that <laughs> I don't want to answer I don't want to answer that <laughs> can you is it because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or can you not think of one or no, I, I have one. I, I read. I, I, I will vaguely. Uh, I will vaguely talk okay. about this right now. So, so, so I read uh, a fantasy trilogy in the last five years um, that I was loving, 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 and then, man, that third book, I just, I, I, I knew it was going bad about halfway through, and I couldn't bring myself to not finish it, and I was so disappointed at the end of that of that third book that. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't stand it at all anymore and it's kind of it's kind of ruined the way I think about the author and uh, the series a, a series that was very meaningful to me before that and so you know but 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 I think it's a series that a lot of other people like and I don't want to necessarily take away from it by okay. by slamming it and I, I really I really don't I really try not to dwell on that kind of stuff right like those kinds of um, moments but I won't recommend that book to anybody anymore, any of that series to anybody anymore. And I've been very reluctant to pick up other books by the author, even though they've appealed to me kind of in a small way. So, well, now, now me and everyone at home is wondering what the hell this book must be. <laughs> well, you can you can email me at, at uh, bookstabberpodcast <laughs> at gmail dot com if you have a guess. <laughs> if, right, the correct answer will get nothing because apparently <laughs> exactly. Well, well, but. Well, but I don't understand. I mean, we're, we're recording this entire podcast right now, which is to talk about whether or not we like or dislike these books and trying to find books that we do like. So I'm curious why you don't feel like you can just name the book because you think it's a like you're besmirching the good name of an author or. Well, I, because I, I, I don't um, I think if I think if if somehow we decide to uh, read these books and have like a longer discussion about them and what I don't think I think that's different than just mentioning in an offhanded way right now in a side comment that I really hated the way this ended. You know, I, I just think it's disrespectful. I guess. Okay. I, I, I think it I, feels like that. You're you're entitled to that. I I don't understand it myself. <laughs> uh, I'm, I, here here's a long list of books that I hated. <laughs> Go. I, I don't actually have that list at hand. I, <laughs> well, I think it's very rare that I hate the end. I, I, I can't think of anything that I absolutely hate the ending of, uh, especially with regard to books that I don't think is also a problem with the rest of the book. Uh, I did. I, actually, we did have a conversation about this a little while ago, I had, but this is not good radio. So uh, let's move on. <laughs> okay. I, I, so with the, go ahead. Did you find did you find the resolution of this book um, satisfactory? I did. Yes. In fact, I think that I think the resolution of this book is much better than the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Toward the end, it really it really brings everything home in a way that made me appreciate the entirety of the book. And I don't want to talk too much about the way it ends without because um, I think it it just ruins the book too much. For, for well, for a little. I. That's fair enough. There's one part, there's one line that made me laugh out loud, and I don't consider this book to be funny. What is what is I, the line? But I, 
Uh, well, it's it's. I, I feel like it's a spoiler, but uh, when our when our boy Piranesi he finally meets sixteen, and uh, he says something to the effect, you know, it's kind of like in Ghostbusters, like, "Are you a god?" Like he has something to the effect of like, <laughs> like, like, did, you know, were you sent here for whatever reason? And the person just responds with like, uh, "I'm a police officer." And it's it, it's it's very funny because it's just like a normal person walked into this fantasy book. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> like, it's a like nice moment. Way too normal. It's a nice yeah, moment. That, that that moment really did make me laugh because of how sort of mundane it was. My, 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 my favorite thing about it, like, became the way Piranesi is just in the now kind of and the, the way the way Piranesi just loves the house. Like like there's a moment where Piranesi is kind of is kind of talking about how he doesn't um he doesn't believe in the search for the great and secret knowledge anymore that the other is on. And he's kind of, he's kind of disturbed because he doesn't feel like the house is a riddle to be solved. It's, it's just this place that's kind of complete in and of itself and, and should be taken as itself. And, and, and I think, I think that helped me start to like see Piranesi for Piranesi and to kind of, to kind of enjoy his point of view of the world somehow. Like it wasn't a funny moment though. Like there's very little amusing about Piranesi to me, or what what drives him. Right. But but somehow that, and then the way uh, the story comes together at the end. Like I really like the rising action, the kind of threat when the other is has a gun, and you know the the floodwaters are rising in the hall, and it, it, that was great. It was so great. And then it's and then it's right. it's it, over uh... in a dash and. Uh, and it's kind of a Spielberg ending to a very non-Spielberg story. It was so great. It, it was like, like it was suddenly like just for for a very brief time an action movie. Yeah, a very pleasant action movie, and then and then I, done. Well, I didn't even think it was that. It was. I didn't think it was that action packed. But maybe I was envisioning it differently. Like to me, to me, they were just sort of floating on this raft or whatever it was. Uh, but but maybe in your mind, these were sort of floodwaters that were uh, just going crazy. I. I think I think you and I must picture these books very differently. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I kept trying to figure out the whole vision of this world because there's like four tides that come together at the same time that like flood the flood the hall to this great depth. Uh, flood flood a bunch of halls actually. And I I was always trying to figure out how right. big the halls are too. Like the halls just seem so mammoth and and huge. And I mean, Piranesi describes this whole thing as a series of halls and vestibules, and there are each of them. Well, most of them have just like a series of kind of raised levels that have different statues of different sizes, depending on the hall that go up like very, very high. And I, I could never quite figure out how high, but there's weather in some of the halls. So it's, they're, they're just gigantic sometimes. Um, and Right. It, there, there was one scene that was pretty interesting. I, I'd say this is in the first quarter of the book where he enters a hall that the floor has been like eroded somehow. And there's just sort of it's it, like there's just darkness beneath it's some kind of chasm and we don't know where it leads right and right. he and he almost falls into it and he's sort of in the hands of one massive godlike statue uh, like that to me sort of set the tone of how how insanely large this place must well i love the the, the 192nd western hall the one that's just dark inside that has only the one door and no windows and uh it's just absolute darkness almost okay like, like I don't remember. Maybe we're describing the same room. Uh, well, well, no, because this one is the one where the other. It's kind of toward the beginning of the book. The other sends Piranesi there, and Piranesi can can kind of see the dim the dim um, suggestion of the shadows around him, but he doesn't know what their form is because he has no light. And and he sits in there because the other is looking for a place to perform the ritual 
to get the great and secret knowledge, but it's very far away from, from where they usually meet. And Pyrenees doesn't ever right. go back there, but, um, but it's such a, such a strange spot and such a weird, quiet place. And, but yeah, I mean, contrasted to other halls that had once had like, uh, like where the sea had inundated them before. And there are, are like basically coral reefs that have <laughs> swallowed half the statues. Right. And they're now dry, but, but that that's happened somewhere in the past to so the ones that are usually kind of wet now that have like barnacles living on the statues and whatnot. I mean, it's such a strange, it's such a strange setting, but it's so ordinary to Piranesi that Piranesi almost can't bring it alive for us because we're reading what amounts to his journal articles or his, his journal entries, I think. And there isn't a great, huge description of things that would be of interest to us. Right. It, it's things that are of interest sure. to him. So Right, right. The fact that a bird comes in one of these halls now, and because it doesn't sound like birds are that strange, but if a bird moved into your backyard where you live, that would probably be of note to you. Right. Um, and so I can understand that. I, th- I think it's it's really interesting how when you describe the events, and I think this is true of other books that you've described to me, I, I have a, an opposite reaction, which is that like, I, I understood very quickly in the first 30 pages of this book or whatever, I'm like, okay, Piranesi lives in a big house, it's full of statues, it floods, <laughs> there are birds. So, okay, I, I got that information. What happens next? And then, no, and then nothing happens next. Um, but, but you take this as a meditative uh, exercise, as to you really try to contemplate the nature of the things, whereas I'm just like, okay... I understood. The, I understood the things that you were trying to tell me. Now, what are we going to do with them? Hmm. Well, you know? I mean, I mean, I, well, but 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 I think I think like it, it, it. This whole book felt like a meditation because nothing nothing was really happening. You know, for so but much. But you say of it. that about. But you say that about other books that we read. I I think you have a. T- I like. I'm not saying that it's wrong to take this as a meditative thing, but I think that's your default approach to these books. Interesting. Okay. You know, because I didn't get that out of Earthsea, for example, but but you absolutely did. Oh yeah, yeah. Earthsea is all about the quiet to me. Yeah. And and I can understand why you would feel that way, and I think maybe more so than this book. But at the same time, like like I'm looking for adventure. I'm looking for driving action. Not necessarily action, but just I'm I'm looking for things to happen. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Like th- like nothing stands still to, in my world, but in your world things absolutely stand still and and that has merit to it well I, I just think i think an author can have you standing still but if the author has you standing still then there's a reason for it right and 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 you can you can enjoy or not enjoy that reason i mean like like you clearly don't enjoy the reason in uh, the blade itself right for the the lack of of what you consider action although i think things happen well, in those books Nothing of consequence happens. <laughs> no. T- can you tell me if anything is won or lost by the end of that book? I mean, I mean, I, I, I you know, not, not to go totally sidetracked, but I, I think, I think, um, I think characters are revealed, you know, people are slightly, slightly victorious in some ways, like the contest is won or lost. Uh, people accept the, the Magus as, as the Magus or not. Like the party is together, right? The, the threat, is, the threat the, is established. But, but by the end of that book, it doesn't matter if anyone considered him a magus or not. He, he's now a, a criminal, independent of what people thought of him. And it didn't matter if that guy won the contest or not, because he's also on the same team as Team Magus, it, it, even though he doesn't want to be. And it's like he doesn't have any agency in his own life. None of them do, frankly. Like, the only person here who has agency is the damn Magus, and he won't t- tell anyone what what's the plot is about. <laughs> 
anyway, I think, but I, 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 I don't think you could say nobody has agency. Like nobody's being forced. You could say they're being manipulated a little bit. Everybody except for the dog man, who's uh, who's on his own with the with the band. <laughs> the dog man has agency. Does, man. Is that is that what's happening? I I didn't pick that up about the dog what, man. What, what, what I what I hate what I hate about discussions about things like that is like you end up kind of trying to justify the agency where nobody has agency. They're all they're all characters in a in a fucking book, right? It's like. <laughs> I no, I di- I absolutely disagree. Well, have you read Stephen King's on writing? No, I haven't. Okay, I, well, I recommend that you do because honestly, that is I I read that as a teenager and I've reread it a couple times, which is pretty rare for me. I don't reread books, uh, but I've reread that one multiple times because I see it as a it's a reference guide essentially. It's it's on the craft of writing, um, and I think it's really well written. I I you know it's not the only one. I love. Uh, the David Mamet book, which the name escapes me. Um, I think that's an even better book on the on how to write and how to do plot and all of that stuff. Uh, obviously, that one is for uh, on directing film. I think is which isn't necessarily relevant if you're writing a book, but I think there are things you could definitely pick up from that 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 would be helpful if you want to make a book that I Willow Payne would enjoy. And of, of course, why would you want to do that? Um, <laughs> it's not the mammoth book writing in restaurants that's not what you're talking about there's some other book that's about yeah it's it's called on directing film on directing film okay which you're gonna say well that's not about writing but it is about writing because he literally like the book is basically just a a couple of conversations he had with students and he was like well this is like I, i know you guys have a lot of ideas on how to make movies here's how we make a movie and he's like just start inventing a scene and you have to figure out how that scene is going to progress. If you had to make a movie without anyone talking in it, how would you do that, right? Mm-hmm. And which is a great exercise in actually establishing how like people understand stories and how uh, how we can tell stories better. Um, but in terms of like the the quiet introspective stuff, so I'm thinking about a scene in American Gods, right? Uh, which is a book that I is very near and dear to me. Uh, there's a part where I think it's multiple parts over the course of the book where our main character has to spend these long winters in this uh, in this northern American town somewhere in the in the heartland. I don't recall exactly. And it, there are these quiet, introspective parts of the book where he just has to live in this you know completely iced over place where nothing is really happening uh, compared to the rest of the book where a lot of things are happening. But I don't think the time like like though that space is there for a reason and we discover that there are things that are going on and it's kind of this schindler's list moment of like oh no the entire time i spent here in this town there was this horrible thing happening that i have to do something about you know it's this uh it, it's it's great storytelling i i it's not uh you're saying you're saying these books inform your view of storytelling to a large extent I, well, I don't know. I don't think it does. I don't think that book informs my view of storytelling. I think, I think I already, you know, people already have taste buds, right? Like, <laughs> someone already, some someone is predisposed to like salty food over sweet food. But if they've only ever been given sweet food their entire life, and and they're just like, yeah, this isn't great. I don't love this. And then at some point, someone gives them salty food, and they're just like, whoa, what? Where has this been all my life? You know that I. I encountered that book when I was like 14 and I was like, oh, this is an incredible book. And then ever since, I've just been like, not that I wasn't reading before, but I, I, every ever since I've been like, I'm reading all these books that are not nearly as good as that book I read when I was 14. 
Uh, and I don't think it's because, you know, that book won the Hugo and the Nebula. Like, clearly it was recognized for being a good book when it came out. Uh, I don't, this isn't just a nostalgia thing happening. You mean you mean on writing? I assume David Mamet didn't win the Hugo and the Nebula. No, I was talking about Neil Gaiman's... Oh, uh, American, American, Go American Gods. American oh, okay, Gods. sorry, sorry. Okay. Sorry, that was confusing for me. No, uh, but, right. So anyway, I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> no, well, okay, so American Gods... Uh, uh, informs your view of, of what good fiction is, is what you're saying. No, well, I'm saying the opposite, is that I already I already have my taste. It just happens to appeal to my tastes, but Neil Gaiman didn't write that book for me specifically. Right. I, I, I think you could argue that my tastes were formed by that, but that's not true. It's just an example of a thing. If we were talking about uh, anything else like pizza, if, if we were talking about whether or not... I liked pizza if I'd ever had good pizza before. And I'm like, well, I've had really good pizza here. It's not that that pizza has has inf influenced my views on pizza. Right. Am I making sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 you're doing good. You're doing good. No, no, no. I, I, so I, I think that I think that the thing is like, um, I mean, I mean, I really I really do enjoy some books and not enjoy others. Right. And I've decided I've decided not to talk too much about books that I don't like because there's so many books I do like that I don't tend to finish okay. books I don't like. And I, I can honestly find something I like in a lot of books to pull me through. Um, but but like it's it's that librarian thing where, oh, this book probably has a reader somewhere out there. Right. And I have like even though I've read a little bit of it, it's not a waste of time because sometime I'm going to find somebody who this book appeals to. Right. Like somebody's going to I have to store it away somewhere in my head, even though I didn't enjoy it and not not uh, not rant about it too much. You know, unless I'm unless I'm among friends and it's a pretty private conversation, which case I I am given to rants uh, as you are, but but for the most part I I kind of maintain that librarian idea of like oh somebody's going to enjoy this book and and it's not really my place to to rant against it too much because I don't want to alienate potential readers, but um, I I also feel like that's not a helpful it's not a helpful thing to to do when you're trying to discuss how a book works or not right. Well, no, actually I disagree because I think that. If we discuss what doesn't work about a book, we dis we actually figure out a lot more about it than if we just talked about how much we liked it. Well, well, and I'm willing to, I'm willing to talk about I mean I'm willing to talk about some things I didn't I didn't like in books that I otherwise enjoyed, which I think is fine. I and I think it's valuable to talk about reasons I enjoyed enjoyed books, but I, I just mean like I don't like I don't enjoy the negative review anymore. Like the negative review that just skewers every aspect of, of something. It's like it's like what, like like did somebody force you to read that with a gun to your head? I don't understand what that is. You know, I mean, it could be could be sure. really, really fun. I mean, like you can have a real smart ass opinion sometimes that just makes me laugh. But at the end of the day, it's like, well, can I even can I even believe you? You're taking so much joy in the um, in the nastiness. And I don't mean you, right. but I, but I mean the reviewer is taking so much joy in the nastiness, whether it's a restaurant or you know, like a a car repair shop or whatever. They're just taking too much from, from being nasty to really believe them too much. Whereas like, I feel like when you rant against a book, like I, I understand, I, I get you enough to understand where you're coming from. And it's amusing to me. Right. And I should say, yeah, right. And I don't think I, you know, there's a lot of books and movies and whatnot that I really do dislike fervently. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't take pleasure from my disliking of that thing, though. I, I, yeah, I, I, right? I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it, you, if anything, I, I get upset because there's 
I usually approach these things where there's already a discourse about it, mm-hmm. and and I'm mad that the discourse is a certain way, you know. Right, right, uh, right. The Snyder Cut just came out a while ago, <laughs> and I'm mad that the I'm, I'm mad that the discourse about the Snyder Cut exists between people who love it uh, without any any reflection whatsoever. They just they just absorb it, and they're like, "Yes, greatest movie of all time. Make more, please. I want five more Snyder cuts." And then people who are just like pleading, like, "Well, okay, but it still has so many problems. And why is it four hours long? There's no good reason for this movie to be this long." Yeah, I, I, I have you watched and it yet? That's how I, I did. Unfortunately, I, I had a lot of free time in the last week. I was cat sitting. And I put it on because I wanted to be able to talk about it fairly, right? Mm-hmm. I I I, I want to give things fair shots. I it, really do. Willow Payne is a good geek, so Willow, Willow Payne had to watch the Snyder Cut. I had to watch it for the same reason. I was like, oh, I, I'm probably not going to enjoy this, but I'm I'm going to watch it. What What did you think? Right. What did you think overall? I didn't like the first one. It's It's the same movie. It's just the same movie. I liked Anyone it. I, I liked who, it. I liked it like fifty percent more than I liked the original release. I. You know, here's the thing. Uh, I was I was gonna I was saying this earlier. I was thinking this earlier. If we could easily compare, I think, Piranesi to the Blade itself by virtue of the fact that one of these books is 250 pages and the other is 500 pages. Even if Piranesi had not been written well, I think it would have been a better book because it wasn't 500 pages. Like people people think I'm joking or that, that that's not a fair criticism, but that is absolutely. I think that's one of the most fair criticisms in the universe is that shorter things are better than long things. Like that's just how the nature of media. I would rather eat, I would rather have something be good and short or bad or short, bad and short over something that is good and long or bad and long. That's just the the Punnett square of the nature of media. I think there's something to You're that. Going to I, do I, I think there's something to that. Yeah. Right. And so it I'm I'm thankful that Piranesi is also a better written book, in my opinion, than The Blade itself was. Uh, you know, am I going to read it again? No. Am I going to recommend it to someone? Probably not, unless I think they're like Gene over here, and they would like a, a nice, meditative, magical, realist <laughs> kind of text. Now, speaking of recommendations, who would you recommend? Like, if, if, if someone likes this book, what would we what other books would we recommend to them? Oh man, that is rough. Right, because I don't, I can't actually think of one. Uh, I, I would, I recommend maybe the Tombs of Atuan, the second uh, Earthsea book, which, which, uh, <laughs> which takes place partially in a maze. I don't know. I'm trying to think of things that are in in a maze. You know. <laughs> well, but I don't see. But I think that's a very surface level, which I also think is part of the librarian's job. Is I think that you look at the surface level aspects of the book and you make judgment calls based on that. But I don't think that that really has. I don't think that people read this book and they go, "Oh man, I just need more books about labyrinths." Well, That's well, just well, my favorite well. But if I was doing a good job of reader's advisory as a librarian and talking to somebody who actually was looking for something to read, I would ask them like, "What?" Like, I would I would ask them what they were looking for something like. Like, okay, so you want a book like what? And you would you would give me a book, and then I would say, "Well, why did you like that book?" Right? And you would tell me like it was the character, it was the sentence structure, it was the language. You know, maybe maybe you read a book by uh, Susanna Clark before, and I could say, "Oh, I just read Piranesi," you know, and this is this is kind of what Piranesi is like, and maybe that's enough of a pitch, right? 
like an unevaluative right. just pitch for what the book is like. And we can talk about unreliable narrators and kind of the, the setting. And maybe that's enough to hook somebody in. Like, like, I don't know. If somebody was like, I just really like mazes. Do you have something that's kind of about a maze? You know, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I don't see. Well, look, you would know better than I having worked in libraries because I've never been. I have volunteered in libraries and I just did shelving. Right. Mm -hmm. But I have never been in the situation of someone being like, man, I just love books about mazes. How many can we get a whole maze section together? That would just be the best. I don't. Does that exist? Does that really exist? You get people who come up and ask you the the strangest things, and um, you know these days it's it's something that um, that you can't find otherwise. And, and there's different ways to find other books to read, right? So you have to you have to really kind of come from left field to me these days to do something that's valuable to people for the human interaction, or you have to talk very personally. And so I try to kind of just talk more personally because it's too hard to come from left field and really give something to somebody that they would try. Um, but the great the great thing about the library is if if like, I mean, I mean, like I always kind of concentrate on book talking things that are on the shelf where I'm at, like like if I'm going to work a shift somewhere like uh, back when I was still working as a librarian, I would try to try to check the shelves just to see what was there that I knew, you know what I mean, that I could recommend to somebody if somebody came up to me and asked me for a book, because because like recommending something that's not there is not very useful either. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of that strange conundrum of of the library, like oh here's the, here's well, a, here's a book you'll like that everybody's talking about. You have to wait six months to get it. You're not going to remember, you know what I mean? Why why you even wanted that? What I said about it six months from now? So I mean maybe, but at the same time, I feel like it's because of the services of the library. You should be like you should mention books that are more accurate. And you could you can order that book for the library, or that person can go find it at a different library, or go find it at a bookstore or on an e-reader shop, right? That seems to me to be part. I'm not I'm not trying to say you're a bad librarian. Or oh anything. no, it's fine. No, no. It it just, people have different levels of patience, and and people have different uh, capacities to go buy things for themselves or, or whatever. But what? Yeah. In know. my situation, if I want a book, you know, I. Like, yeah, if I really don't want to pay money for it, I will absolutely wait to get it at the library, you know, or other things that we shouldn't mention on this podcast. But, uh, or I'll, maybe I'll borrow it from a friend, right? I, there's sure. any number of ways to get a hold of a book. But um, sure, it seems strange to me to, I don't know. This this reminds me so much of, um, my mom loves telling this story. Uh, Christmas a couple years ago, I was trying to, to come up with gifts for my mother. Mm-hmm. Who is an oh, avid yes. reader. And I asked Jean here, uh, as a librarian, can you help me? You read a lot of books. Can you help me find books that my mother would enjoy? <laughs> and so you did the library. They'd have like, what are three books she enjoys? And uh, I mentioned like a couple Octavia Butler books and uh, Lonesome Dove, I don't the, who the author of which I think just passed away. L- Larry McMurtry, yep. Yes, thank you. I couldn't remember. Um, and some other book. At the, and you were like, all right, I'm having a meeting with other librarians today. I'm going to get some recommendations. And you came back with a list. And I didn't read any of these books. <laughs> but I but I did purchase them for my mother, who, you know, came back to me. At, you know, Christmas happened. Then like two weeks later, she was like, well, uh, those were all really those were all really bad books. <laughs> because she she the, the things that made her favorite books that I was able to pull from. The uniting quality had to do with the craft of the writing, right? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the nature of the storytelling that was going on. But all of the recommendations that we got as a result were just like, well, here's a book about a cowboy who does, you know, something that is uh, 
hip right now, right? Like something something like River of Teeth, where it's a it's a cowboy story, but it's also an alternative history, which I know is one of your favorite books. I love River and of I'm, Teeth so much, yeah. And I'm and I'm being unfair because you did not recommend that to my mother, but that feels like it, it might as well have been one of the recommended books, right? Well, 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 but th- I mean, they could be surface recommendations in that, and like honestly, like that's all I can do because you couldn't tell me exactly what your mother liked about those books, right? I mean, but but like right, and, and writing is so. It, it's such subjective. a it, it is subjective but i'm i'm heartened by the fact that your mother loved one of my favorite books moth by james salas which you didn't like but but which i think is one of the best written books like i've ever read and uh, just right. like I read over and over again and so so uh li- like now i feel like oh if your mother wants a well-written book i could at least understand because now i have some reference that i think is well written too and like maybe i could you know, find something along those lines. I want you to give Piranesi to your mom though now. And I want you to, I want to hear what she thinks about it in a couple weeks. Cause it'll take her okay. like a day to read it. What, what did you call your mom one time? Cause she reads everything. Oh, you called her like the condor, right? Yeah. That's our, that's our joke about in, in my family. My mother is the condor uh, in reference to the, uh, the Robert Redford film, uh, the three days of the condor and the, the novel on which, from which that movie is based, which is what the six or the 12 days of the condor. I can't remember. Yeah, but it's, but it's also it, a TV series, I think, now. Right. You you and my mother are the most avid readers that I know. <laughs> I love your mom as the condor. That's the best. I, That's I, the best. I, I'd be... I, I don't want to know which of you actually does read more. Uh, oh, your mom! Your mom totally. Your mom totally reads more than me. <laughs> There's I don't know, no way. You read a lot. Well, if we count pages of graphic novels, maybe maybe we're about equal. But uh, I think just in terms of sheer <laughs> volume, it sounds like your mom reads way more than I do. So sure. Yeah. Okay. I think this is a good place to uh, stop for today. Um, what is our sign off again, Willow? Uh, thanks for listening to Bookstabber. I've been Willow Payne. And I've been Gene Ambaum. And uh, you can reach us at bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. Again, we are open to your suggestions. If you can tell us something uh, that we both might like to read, but beware, uh, Willow will likely have a good rant about it. At least that's what we're hoping. So thanks so much for listening. Keep stabbing.